a conversation with my colleagues, Dr. Bryant and Dr. Nicholson Sullivan continues. important statement very important statement um so let's talk a little bit about the some of the symptoms and some that people are coming in to see you with as a result of what's been happening how is it manifesting itself um first of all um I'm really not, I haven't really been seeing new patients, a little bit, very, a very, I mean, really only within the last month or so have I had openings to see a couple of new patients or so. So most of, most of the people that I see are people who I've been seeing for, you know, quite some time. Um, but the new patients are definitely coming in. I mean, one person I was really struck by that the, uh, Zoom call, the first time that I laid eyes on her, she had a face mask on. So that already was speaking volumes in terms of her experience and that what she wanted me to know right there in the moment of what her life was is like and um, and wanted me to, to, face, to face that. And so they've had family members who have been sick, who have passed away. They maybe um, could not go to school. Um, they're doing this whole remote learning. Parents are pulling their hair out um, because they're navigating uh, their very demanding jobs now. I have to say, I think that folks' jobs are more demanding now than what it's ever been. Yes, it's different, and they're learning new tasks, but it also seems like the demands are more, to some degree, with less benefits because many of them have had to take pay cuts and furloughs and a number of other things so that there's financial issues going on. Um, uh, people are worried, preoccupied about whether or not they have the, um, the virus. Um, they have some symptoms. They don't know whether or not it's their anxiety, whether or not they're having high blood pressure or whether or not they're having a panic attack or what it is. So there's a lot of anxiety going on. Folks are living together. And that has its advantages and disadvantages. And no matter how large your home may be, it still can feel tra trapped and crowded, no matter what, if you're there for three months or so living, living together. Um, that, 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 that there are folks who are coming in because they are concerned about um, they're essential worker. They're afraid that they're going to get a um, to get the virus. They've been made to. I've seen a number of social workers who've been made to go to the hospital, even in the midst of the COVID. And um, they only if, must have taken the hospital probably two months or so before they would allow them to do remote um, tele telehealth therapy. So many of them had comorbid illnesses. Many of them were older. Um, black, and they were worried that they could affect their family. Some of them are living with family. Some of them are very con were very concerned about 
their going into the hospital and how they would affect other family members. And some of them were being quarantined um, when they, you know, were diagnosed with the with the virus or that they had symptoms. I mean, that's another thing. It was difficult to get diagnosed. But if you had symptoms enough, then at that point, they were self-quarantining with the family. And of course, it depends on how much space you have. And also that sense of isolation and depression and anxiety about being away from their family, feeling really um, um, sad about not being able to touch and, and, and be with their family members and being with friends. So it's been, it, it's been really very difficult for, for most of us and certainly for patients in, in, in various ways, depending upon what their family living situation is and what their resources are. Yeah, I was very concerned about their ability to grieve and say goodbye when funerals weren't happening, particularly in-person funerals, right? I think on some level, George Floyd's funeral gave us all an opportunity to grieve, right? So does that, how does that, did that show up in the session in any way, shape, or form? I mean, I mean, they could not even go to the hospital to see their loved one. Right. They couldn't accompany their loved one from the ambulance to, you know, to the into. They couldn't go into the into the the doors of the hospital. They had to say their goodbyes. Many of them were, you know, using, of course, their phones and and texting or whatever. But it's still not the same as being there and. Right relying on their loved one or maybe a, ner a kind nursing staff or doctor to stay in touch with them. But they were, you know, isolated and could not, could not connect. And then, of course, at the point that they're finding out that they're dying and that they couldn't even be there for that moment. I mean, these, these rituals are, are important for us as the living, as well as for the person who is dying. And right. they're was such a disconnect and such grief and mourning than many of these patients were experiencing and the sense of helplessness that they could be, they could not touch, they could not do any, right. anything about it. And, and um, to some degree, this, this, is, this is still going on. So it's a lot of grief and mourning that people didn't even have a chance to even allow themselves to feel because then they're busy trying to figure out what they're going to do in terms of funeral arrangements and right. how are they going to invite and how, how, how much, what kind of a funeral were they going to have? And if it was going to be a Zoom, then they're busy with that. So right. it takes them away from the experience right. of grief and mourning with their loved ones. Yeah. Um, it's just been on so many different levels. Yeah, yeah. And I thank you for asking that question. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Nicholson uh, Sullivan, did you want to add to that? Well, my clients are in, sound like they're in a different life cycle stage than, than Dr. Bryant. So most of my clients are single and um, without children and never married. And so they are, uh, you know, and New York isn't, New York City isn't necessarily their hometown. So they're navigating this, you know, it's, what you all have just been talking about, I've experienced more in my personal experience, in my personal life with my friends and the communities that I belong to. And professionally, the folks, the clients that I'm working with, they are navigating, you know, having to make just difficult decisions because around like 
I really want to see my family. And yet I live in New York City. So what does it mean for me to even get there? And then what would happen if I actually did go visit? And some of that intersects with my personal experience of like, wait a minute, my family members are a certain age. What does it mean for me to come visit them or me, my family and I to come visit them? So that's one of the dilemmas. They're also navigating the isolation of quarantining by themselves, right? And quarantining by themselves in a city where that's not their hometown, so their networks, their social support networks may or may not be here. Most of the time they're not. Um, As well as, you know, if, 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 what does it mean to date? In the midst of all of that, right? Like, so wait a minute, you know? I like was doing my like, speed dating or mean people up in the, the, like what what happens when, when that isn't available in the way that it used to be or um, friendships, right? So that's something else that's been happening. It's like, I think again, personally and professionally, like this, I haven't spoken to you in years, but what this, but this is really having clients sit with, how do I want to live my life? Do I really want to work with this company anymore? Right, like, because because one thing COVID, right? That's about that's what death does in the life cycle is teaches us to sit with the question. That's part of grief. How do I want to live? And so, if I'm single, quarantining by myself, and actually, this has always been kind of how my life has been lived, where my relationship to work is centered in a way that my relationship to friends and family, like my work, has been my priority. And now I'm I'm now I'm realizing what that means, like the impact of, of this being where I put my time and energy. Um, so that's, that, those are some of the things that, that, that people, a lot of people that I'm in are in a different, working with are in a different life cycle, part of the life cycle where they're actually, they've been by themselves this whole time and they're sitting with, how sustainable is this? Do I want to continue to do this? What does this mean in terms of who I date? What does this mean in terms of protests? Do I go to the protests or not? Do I go visit my, my older family members? or not. And a lot of them haven't necessarily, like I haven't had clients that were navigating, um, how do I engage in these individual end of life, life rituals? They've been navigating more so, um, the impact of all of this stress and trauma on their work life and their relationships at work and whether or not they want, and sometimes their friendships and like, do I want to be with this person or how, which of these relationships am I going to keep and invest in? And which ones is this just letting me know that like, I'm good. This is a wrap. This is complete. And I'm moving on with a different way of of life. Time to let it go. I also wanted to say that I do see a number of folks who do live alone and that, um, that it's been a time of reflection It's been a time of that they have a chance to really be introspective about themselves and their relationships, Mm -hmm. as Dr. Melba Sullivan is saying, and that it's been a a real opening up and light that they're not feeling, they don't have to run and feel pressured and run the rat race in the way that they had before. So it's giving them um, an opportunity to pause and be still and really start to honor and recognize some of the things about themselves that they had forgotten about and giving us an, an opportunity to do a lot more deeper work as, as they're getting in touch with those feelings and with those memories 
um, that that has been really um, inc incredible. That's been very satisfying in a way that I'm really kind of surprised by. I mean, I will also say, you know, that I'm I'm seeing some people using Zoom, and I'm use, doing mostly with uh, telephone um, therapy, and so that's a different experience as well. Um, but really, uh, I think that it, it's been very challenging now. By this time, between the pandemic and now with the Black protests, with um, Black women living alone, single, without children, that this is just, many of them at this point are feeling like they're just overwhelmed and they, they're, they're, they're coping mechanisms. You know, people were thinking it was going to be for a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But at this point, the isolation, and especially if you already have a uh, a kind of a comorbid history of being isolated and alone and not really having a lot of social contacts and not really, uh, um, yeah, not to begin with, to begin with, then it, it's, they're really having a, 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 a difficult time to the degree that I'm seeing them more or I'm checking in on them more and asking them to check on me and that kind of thing. Because I am concerned about folks who have some, maybe not explicit suicidal ideations, but certainly there's this, uh, 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 that the depression is, is starting to show up a lot more. I'm finding myself sitting with anger a lot more. Tell me more. Really, like when you talk about reflection, one of the things that, that, that it's been fun, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I find myself bringing in the, the theater arts and improv and sort of bringing in more integrative strategies because, right, so many of us have been trained in the intergenerational trauma, right, to survive by... Uh, um, avoiding our, our rage, avoiding our anger, not wanting to, I know for me personally, not wanting to be the angry black woman, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. And and really, and this is where I think being in the, um, the spaces where these ancient mindfulness and meditation traditions have been passed on for generations, right? And, and coming into this language of having agency, it's not about not being angry. Right, it, or not being experiencing the rage. Of course, we experience rage. It's in, that's that's how we know that something unjust has happened. Right, that's how we get to tap into the stuff that's beyond the the, the individual. Our anger and our rage let us know that our boundaries and our expectations have been violated. And so, uh, in the space of the meditation practices, as well as polarity, energetic healing, right, anger and rage is that fire element and fire can burn ourselves. And that's sort of, that's one of the classic definitions of depression, right? Is anger turned inward and it can also burn other people. So in ourselves, it's that, that twice as good, that I'm not as good enough, that critical eye and then punishing ourselves or feeling guilty, right? And, or feeling fear of our anger. Whereas um, the outward piece could be like the, being self-righteous or, you know, reading people, this, that, and the third. And so it's all about like, how do I have a relationship with this anger and really honor and appreciate the life that it does give me? And as a friend of mine talked about, like having it be like a blacksmith, 
that buying is fortified, right? It makes you stronger. And how do you come in, how do we come into relationship with this anger in a way that it is of service, that it is creative, that it is going into purposeful action? Um, and really, there's some relief that shows up in the individual sessions because people are like, there's a shame. Right. Like that it, for a lot of us, when that anger or rage shows up, there's also like this guilt and shame that comes. So to be in a conversation where it's like, why wouldn't you be angry? Of course you're angry and it's OK to feel angry. And sort of that's one of the pieces that I feel like has happened, been been a part of the conversation, whether I'm talking to a team, because right, because it shows up in the way we treat people as well as ourselves, or whether I'm with individual clients, it's about, yeah, anger is here. So how are we going to be uh, in relationship with it in a way that it really is serving and not... Um, right. And I will also add to it that you didn't see the rage and the anger with the COVID so much, but certainly with the Black Lives Matters, rage is in the house. It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere. And just as Dr. Nicholson Sullivan is saying, all feelings are acceptable all feelings are okay. And there's also something about people asking black folks whether or not they're okay and really giving them permission to say, no, I'm not okay. And I'm not sure when I'm gonna be okay. And maybe even you don't even have to ask me, am I okay? These are the kind of things that I think that's really important for people to recognize the legitimacy of their feelings even if it's anger, because, you know, certainly culturally in our society and because of institutional racism, black folks haven't been allowed to be angry and to be a, a rageful. Um, and so this is a very important time for us that we can allow those feelings and those experiences to show up without us feeling shame and guilt for it. Um, and so room for all feelings, all feelings, and it's all okay. I've been signing my listserv for compassionate rage because I am enraged and I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm leading with compassion, but I'm ending with the rage because of so much that's been going on with all of the murders. So you're right in terms of the rage. And, you know, certainly we know that rage can be toxic at point. You know, this is just the very beginning of our experience. This, you know, it's, it hasn't even been a month with all of this. And so it's important for us to, to acknowledge and honor that it's okay to have the rage too and to have all feelings are acceptable at this point because things are not okay for us. And yes, it may not be okay for them, but we're really, it's important for us to prioritize ourselves at this point and recognize that our feelings are just as important and significant as anyone else. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, for both of you, bringing and centering the anger and rage that is justified. Because we do live in a culture where if you're Black, you cannot be angry. If you're angry, you're, you can lose your life. You can be shot to death or you can be labeled the angry Black woman. And so as a result of that, Oftentimes we internalize it and it shows up in different ways as depression and anxiety. And we have spent a great deal of time just staying in that survival mode kind of place and not releasing the anger and getting to a place in, for many of us where we can thrive. I mean, clearly you two have been women who have are successful and have been thriving, um, not just 
educationally and academically, but also in terms of your own self-care practices. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, I did. I just wanted to say that um, the, the other piece in this is that with the pandemic, that people were sort of in a frozen state. They were like shut down. We were in shutdown and we couldn't go out the house and we couldn't see our neighbors and we couldn't go to school and we couldn't work in terms of being able to move around the way that we were. So physically, we were kind of paralyzed and we were shut down emotionally so that there was a deadening and a numbing. People were just in disbelief that this was happening to us here in America. But now we're coming out of the freeze. And as we're coming out of the freeze, our sympathetic nervous systems are now quite activated and protesting because we're at this point, you know, have a lot more to say because we've been reflecting. So I just really wanted to say that without the pandemic, I don't think that this would have happened, you know, that people would be protesting and that this goes for both black folks and white folks. We've all been in shutdown. And it's really giving us an opportunity all to get to express and legitimize our anger and our rage in, in, a, in a positive way, in a positive way with the Black Lives protest. Um, but it, it, it's like a shot in the dark because we've been frozen and in shutdown for such a long period of time as a society that we are now at this point activated and having a voice and speaking. And I and think as... As we were coming out of it, um, we were under attack also, right? So that peace was, is also very palatable and it takes us into a different place. Uh, as we, we didn't have an opportunity to finish grieving the quarantine and the pandemic and all the losses that ha uh, Black people have experienced through death and illnesses and separations. Um, but um, it, as we're trying to come out and try to keep our, head, uh, our, our, our heads up, then we are under this attack. Again, one that has historical mm -hmm. implications and a reality that hits really deep. And one that, and this is generational. This is what happened in 1921 and 19, right? This is what happened after this, the other the pandemic we had 100 years ago. Right, right, <laughs> right. There was the pandemic, and then there was Black folks and white folks who right. were like at each other, right? Tulsa right. happened yes. right after the yes. swine flu pandemic. And my, my husband was reminding our family that like the riots happened right, right after that pandemic. Why? Because World War one of the world wars and the so black soldiers coming home, like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like this, 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 the, that this too is a cycle, the pandemic and the, and the protesting and the remembering and the sort of, and that, that our survival strategies of dissociation of bracing and enduring. So in order for our survival strategy, like bracing and enduring to be effective, it is rooted in certainty. I can endure this because I know it's going to have an answer, right? Like I can endure this, this boss until this, till they get promoted or until I find another job or until this project ends, right? Bracing and enduring, um, is, is that twice as good, right? There's a lot that we get trained into to, to just put up with it. And so when you are in the context that we are in, where there's so much uncertainty, 
that survival strategy is no longer as effective as it used to be. Well, we, when, we can't get, yeah, we can't get oriented. Exactly. We can't get oriented to the past and we can't get oriented to the future. And we're trying to figure out what's going on in the present. So orientation is so very important, but we can't get oriented, which is why there's so much dysregulation going on. Um, so I agree completely. And the, uh, the Black Wall Street, that's really an important point here. And I want us to get back to it in terms of the disparities that African-Americans have been suffering in the income disparities because Black Wall Street, I mean, they, these were millionaires. They had lots of money. And unfortunately, they lost everything and never was recouped. So, you know, we'll, we, I want us to talk about that right. at some other point when we talk about why, why the disproportionate at number of African-Americans were negatively affected by the COVID. Yeah. But in, whenever we have this, right, whenever we are in a place where we are choosing to survive, we also have the opportunity to choose a thriving strategy. And, and they've always been there. One of the things I love about the museum, right, or the National Museum of African-American History and Culture is that every step of the way, there's this balance of the both and. Here's the oppression and here's the resilience. Here's the oppression and here's the resilience. And it is from the moment you enter, right, you go down in the elevator and you walk through, there's, there's always this both and reflection of, of a reality and a truth that also often gets... Um, masked in our conversations and, and sometimes like we can go and I think I said this a little while ago and really be very wound focused when it's 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 a it's a, a both and um, that the, the it, it takes more work in my opinion it's harder to choose those thriving strategies especially given that so much around us invites us to numb to brace and endure to flee and avoid um, and there's still a, the possibility for it is still available.